Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Every one of us has a picture of God in our minds. This picture has been shaped by our stories, by our experiences in life, and it affects everything. A.W. Tozier once wrote, whatever comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so what's your picture of God? How do you view the God who made you? Some of us, we grew up and we had a picture of God as uh, kind of this rich grandfather in the sky. Um, he was one that we had to um, you know, impress by doing good things. And when we did that, he would, he would pour down good gifts from heaven above. And yet he was, he was kind of outdated and so we really didn't need him except for maybe around Christmas and Easter. Others of us, we grew up with a picture of God more like this uh, distant designer of the universe, uh, someone who's just up there, kind of uh, aloof, not really too interested in us. He's got better things to do. Others of us in this room, we might have grown up with a picture of God because of our experience where we saw God as this strict uh, police officer, keeping an eye on us and ready to enforce the law at the slightest infraction of the law. He was ready to punish us. And still others of us, if we're honest, we grew up with a picture of God as just a disappointed father. Someone who is just kind of putting up with us, tolerating us at best, and oftentimes maybe even disgusted with us. You know, a lot of our emotional problems in life can be connected back to our picture of God. And so what's your picture of God this morning? How, how do you view God? We don't have to guess who God is because he has stooped down low to us. He has condescended to us to reveal himself to us. And so how does he want to be known? That's what we're going to look at today in Psalm 103. So if you're new with us, we've been in a series called Gratitude, and we're walking through Psalm 103 together. Uh, last week, we looked at David's, um, just his blessing of God, his, his exalting in God for these personal blessings of forgiveness of sin of redeeming his life from the pit, of crowning him with steadfast love. And now we see David turn the corner and he's, he's looking now, spanning outward to the people of Israel, God's people, the history, the story of God's people and how God has blessed them and loved them and given them so much compassion. And so if you've got a Bible this morning, I invite you to turn to Psalm 103, if you haven't already done so. 
If not, you have uh, the words back there on the screen and back of you, you can follow along with me. I want to read verses 6 to 14 from Psalm 103. This is the word of God. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And so the, the backdrop of these words penned by David can be found in Exodus 32 to 34. And so if you've got your Bible, I invite you to turn back to Exodus 32. Exodus 32. And here we see this golden calf incident. And we see in this context how God reveals himself. In Israel's rebellion, we see God's compassion. And I hope you see yourself on the pages of this story. Exodus 32, we see the people's rebellion. Look at verse 1. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. And so Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Now, this, this seems unbelievable. Israel's betrayal of God recorded in this story, especially considering the context leading up to these verses. The last three months, if you remember the story, the people of Israel were suffering in slavery. And they were groaning and crying out to God for relief. God heard their cries and sent a man named Moses to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh would not, and so plague after plague after plague after plague, God displays his power and his might over these Babylonian gods, and still Pharaoh would not relent. And finally, he does. And the people are free. And yet, as they're marching, they see in the distance the chariots, Pharaoh's army. And so God, with his mighty hand, and through the staff of Moses, lifts up the waters of the Red Sea, towers of water, 
And the people walk safely through, and Pharaoh's army perishes. Not too long after, the people begin to complain. As they're in the wilderness, and God yet provides for them, sending them manna from heaven, bread, golden grams, if you will, drop down every day. If that weren't enough, he gave them quail, birds. Can you imagine this? Birds that are flying in the air, they drop dead so the people could have their meal, their supper. God was providing for them again and again. They needed water. Okay, Moses, just tap your staff on that rock. Out comes the water. God provides again and again. And he enters into this relationship with his people, gives them the law of God, and now we see them before Mount Sinai. Moses has gone up to the mountain. They didn't know for how long he would be gone. Maybe they thought a day, a few days, a week. He was gone for 40 days and 40 nights. And they begin, they begun to get a little restless. And it says in verse 1, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down, they argued with Aaron, we need a God before us. And it's here where I hope you see yourself in the story. In times of uncertainty, we're prone to idolatry. In times of restlessness, in times where we feel uneasy, when, when God's not operating on our timetable, we take matters into our own hands, don't we? I mean, the past several months, right? It seems like this has gone on forever. Where are you, God? I mean, haven't we already gone through all of this? this? This virus has lasted way too long. What are you doing? And in the election? Seriously, can we get an answer? And we're frustrated. And in these moments where we just want God to come through for us, we turn to a God supplement. Remember, they had families to take care of. They were fearful and anxious, wondering, how long is this going to take, Moses? And so they turn to idolatry. Aaron makes this golden calf. Why a calf? Well, the people in Egypt would worship the calf. It was known for, symbolic for, being kind of known for its fertility and its strength and vitality. And so they must have thought, well, hey, We'll worship this. Seems so obviously like blatant idolatry, but in our own hearts, think about this. What have you turned to this past week for happiness and hope? What idols are in your life? We all have golden calf moments with God, and perhaps through these last several months, God has been exposing them in us. And so the people are complaining, the people are coursing, and Aaron gives in and makes and fashions this golden calf. Now, what would be the response from God? Verse 7, and the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people. Notice he's calling them your people now. These are not my people. Look at what they've done. They're your people whom you brought up 
out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly. That's what we do in our sin. So prone to wander. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. So what's God's response to their rebellion initially? His reaction is to judge them, to consume them, to pour out his wrath upon them, deservingly so. They had betrayed him. It entered into a covenant. Now they breached this covenant, worshiping a false god. So God is ready. His wrath is burning hot against them. And yet look at what Moses does. This is his intercession for the people of God. Verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? Notice he says, your people. These are yours. They're not mine whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent that he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember, notice this, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all the... All this land that I promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. As we see in verse 14, the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. So I'm, I'm asking myself the question, does Moses change God's mind? And I think it's God who is testing Moses. Do you have my same heart for these stubborn, stiff-necked people? Are you going to forsake them? What are you going to do? And Moses intercedes and pleads on their behalf, God, you started this. Finish it. Your name and your glory is at stake here. What happens to these people right here? Your glory is at stake. So... Please, relent, relent. And he, he does miraculously. He doesn't go through with it. They deserve to be consumed. God has mercy on them. Moses continues to communicate with God. And we see as we turn the page to the 33rd chapter, in verse 18, he's, he's wanting God's presence to follow him and the people of God. And so here in verse 18 of chapter 33, Moses says, please, God, show me your glory. We need you and your presence. Show us who you are. God says, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Later, he says, you can't see my face you can't see me and live. You're just going to see my back. 
And so how would God reveal himself? Here's this opportunity, right? Moses is saying, please show me your glory, God. Show me. Who are you? Be with us. We need your presence here. So how does God want to be known? This is it right here. What does he do? What does he say? Verse 6 of chapter 34. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So God says, this is who I am. This is my heart towards you. Even in your rebellion, this is who I am. And this verse right here, verse 6, is quoted by David back in Psalm 103, verse 8. Look there again with me. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So Exodus 34 is a verse that's quoted time and time again all over the Bible. It's really the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. And here David is now quoting it. And now we know the context. And so let's understand his heart. Notice it's in the context of a people who had forsaken God in their idolatry. And he says in verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. Can you believe that? He doesn't say the Lord is frustrated and angry. That's not what he says. He says, I am merciful. This is my heart. I am gracious towards you. What does that mean? Merciful. It means he has deep love and pity for his people who are inferior to him. He is high in the heavens, and he looks upon us with pity. I think back to the people of Israel and how they were crying out for release, for deliverance. God heard their cries, pity upon them, merciful. And the Lord is gracious, it says. Gracious, he gives us what we don't deserve. Think about this. Even today, you've been the recipient of so much grace from God's hand. We don't deserve any of it. The Lord is merciful, gracious, slow to anger. And I love this phrase, slow to anger, because we're quick to anger, right? God is slow to anger. That might surprise some of you. You look at the Old Testament, you think, man, he seems like he's just ready to strike us down. No, we just saw this. In the story here, he relented. He was slow to anger. So what does this phrase mean? Well, literally, it means long nostrils. Surprisingly. I can't see your nostrils today. So what does that mean? I mean, long nostrils, you get the picture of someone who is so angry that their whole face gets red and their nose gets red. Ever been there before? What David is saying is God is not like an angry bull ready to charge. He doesn't have this hot anger just easily provoked and ready to pour it out. He's not ready to pull the trigger. No, he's just the opposite. He gives people lots of time to change. 
Isn't that incredible? He gives, he gives us time to repent and turn to him. Slow to anger. And abounding, abounding in steadfast love. Steadfast love, the word hesed in the original language, means God's loyal, covenant-keeping love for his people. He will never forsake us. He will never leave us. He, he's never going to throw up his hands in disgust. He's committed to us. And, and notice it says he's abounding in that kind of love. He's abounding in steadfast love. That word means plentiful, abundant, overflowing. He never runs out of his steadfast love. I run out pretty quickly. How about you? I, I feel like I'm running on empty, even today. God never runs on E. He is always, always pouring out his steadfast love upon you. He never runs out. Verse 9 goes on to say, He will not always chide or keep his angry, anger forever. What does that mean? Well, he could rebuke us and correct us all the time, right? He has reasons, plenty of reasons to get in our face and correct us for all the sins that we seem to be good at all throughout the day. I mean, he could be pointing out sin every second, but he doesn't. He will not always chide or keep his anger forever. Verse 10 says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. This is, this is a verse worth circling and remembering again and again and again. We touched on it last week. God doesn't keep grudges. He doesn't harbor resentment against you for your sin. We should be, we should be right now receiving punishment from God. You know that, right? There should be the fire of God's wrath coming down upon us for our sin, and yet we get the water of God's mercy again and again every day. Two Saturday days ago, it was a burn day, and so I'm outside in the backyard, and it was a windy day, not quite as windy as today, but it was pretty windy. I was burning leaves in the back, and uh, it was pretty windy, so I was trying to be careful, and with the big leaf pile, close watch, had the hose there with me. And when I was done, I uh, ran the hose over the leaves and the, the kind of the, the, the burning um, stopped, snuffed it out, and went back inside. Well, about an hour later, uh, Brandon Dodgen shows up at my door, and he's, he's got these cupcakes. He's just wanting to give us some of the leftovers from his daughter's birthday, and we were glad to receive those. And then he left. About a minute later, I get this text from Brandon. Hey, Doug, that leaf fire in your backyard looks like it's growing with this wind. Just wanted to give you a heads up in case you thought it had burned out. So gentle. <laughs> no exclamation mark, you know, at the end of that thing. No, no emojis at all. So I thought, okay, better go check that out. Walk outside, oh my, <laughs> I got a real fire on my hands back there. 
I mean, the wind had picked up and evidently I had not snuffed it out well enough. And there was now a fire and it was moving towards the brush pile and my little, uh, little, little shed there. And so I was kind of freaking out. I, I ran for the, the hose, got it up there and it wasn't long enough. I was like, oh great, go back there and kind of untangle it, get there. And still it's not coming out very strong. And I noticed there's like crinkles in it everywhere. Finally, I got it. I'm panicking about now because I see the fires like raging and getting close to that shed. And then there's a big like tree nearby. I thought if that happens, then I'm in big trouble. So I run inside and I'm like, Jamie, call 911. We may have a fire here. And so she's coming outside. She's like, what, what, what? And she's on there. And sure enough, uh, not too long afterwards, fire department's right there. I got everything under control. So I thought, and they come in and they bring in the big, the big hose, right? The big reinforcements. And I, I, I felt a little embarrassed by the whole situation, <laughs> to be honest with you. So there's a picture there. You can kind of see there. Um, I talked to the, the guy and I said, uh, you know, this can kind of just stay with you and me, right? This can, this can just be uh, between us um, and, and the neighbors that are now outside and, and you guys and and then I found out, no, this, this wasn't any kind of secret because uh, a day later or two, Jamie sent this to me. An out-of-control grass fire was reported in the 100 block of 5th Street South. The party had the fire back under control when the fire department arrived. The fire department was on the scene for 15 minutes, so I made the paper. Um, I tell you that story because it was a little reminder. Actually, it was a big reminder for me. Sometimes I try to manage my own sin by myself. And when that happens, my faith potentially could go up in flames. And so could yours. You think, well, I can, I can contain this. I've, I've got this under control. And some of you are like, well, you know those bigger sins, they're not part of my life. And yeah, I, I struggle with some of those same sins everybody else. You know, those are not that big a deal. We try to manage it, contain it. And a fire begins. God is so patient with us. He was watching out for me that day. He sent somebody, a friend, just a gentle nudge. Hey, uh, do you know that fire out there is, is starting to, to rage? And he, he does that in your life, in my life, right? He does that to encourage you because he loves you. He knows you can't do this on your own. So he's sending people and circumstances ever so gently, hey, just a heads up before our sin rages out of control. Guys, he doesn't repay us. He reminds us how much we need him, how much we need others. David, I think he's just kind of soaring here as he's talking about this. It's almost like he's on a mountaintop here as he's talking about the beauty of God's love here. In verse 11, he goes on to say, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. So think that he's, he's trying to find the language to communicate the infinitely glorious love of God. It is so high, high as the heavens Pastor Johnny read today from Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. I mean, the, the depth, the height, the breadth of God's love. We can't comprehend this. It's so big, so great. 
It says, it's so great is his steadfast love, right? We cannot possibly grasp his love. Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So great, so far. I love how he communicates this. As far as the east is from the west, he swept them away. So listen, if, if you've sinned this morning, God doesn't hang that right in front of your face. It's gone. In Christ, you're forgiven. It's been removed. Corey Ten Boom once said, God takes our sin and dumps it into the sea and puts up a sign that says, no fishing allowed. In other words, if God has removed it, it's time to move on from it. You're forgiven. But I want us to camp out here on verses 13 to 14 as we close. Listen to these verses. Listen to God's heart toward you. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. If you're a dad in this room or a parent, you know how difficult parenting can be at times and how compassion sometimes is not there the way you want it to be. And then when you see your kid in pain, and they're suffering, your heart goes out to them. Remember when my, my boy, my one son, Luke, he was in kindergarten. We got the call that he fell from the jungle gym and broke his arm. We come there to get him, take him to the hospital, and later to Fort Dodge. And uh, it was so hard to watch the little guy he was really, really brave. But I wanted, I, wanted to, I wanted to take his place. As he was wheeled back into there to, to get surgery on this thing, I wanted to, to help him. I wanted to take his place and to suffer on his behalf. God's like that with us. We're his broken children. He has pity on us, compassion. But it's not just in our pain and our suffering. Like the Israelites, you know, they were crying out for deliverance from slavery. It's not just the pain that he saw and had compassion. It's also in our sin. He sees us with eyes of compassion. So tender. At our worst, he moves towards us in his love. I've shared this story before, but back when I was, uh, I was 19 years old, um, I had just become a new Christian, finished my first year of college, and I was excited about working at a Bible camp. I was starting to grow a little bit of my faith, was excited about that, and yet, if I were honest, I was still a little bit on the fence at times. I was wanting to please this crowd and wanting to please that crowd. And so, uh, the night before, I'm going to go off to work as a camp counselor at this Bible camp. My friends threw a party for me like a last hurrah before you go off to Bible camp. So it all started at my parents' house, and they were not home. And uh, friends, of course, in quotation marks, uh, brought vodka and 
um, I was taking shots of vodka and my friends were taking water shots. And I, it didn't take long before I was pretty drunk. We went over to another party and uh, I don't remember very much about that because I was on the couch and all I could remember was my brother who was on the other couch opposite side of me, who's now a missionary in Japan. He was out for the count, but he had the wherewithal to yell, Doug, you got to wake up. You, you can't sleep. You got to wake up. He was scared. I, I don't know how much I had that night. And he also was asking for a garbage can. He, he wanted to make sure to get that stuff out of him. And finally, they picked us up, put us um, in the back of a van or whatever, and drove us back to our house. And night before, I'm going to go off to work at a Bible camp. I am hungover. I am as drunk as can be, and I uh, basically spent the night on the bathroom floor. I don't know if you've ever been there before. Um, I felt horrible. And the guilt was there and the shame was there. The next morning, I'm getting up in the bathroom again. I'll never forget this. My dad comes in. Our eyes meet. He's, he's got tears in his eyes. And he doesn't say a word, but he hands me two aspirin. He says, I'm praying for you, Doug. I'm praying for you. That affected me. Every time I tell the story, I'm affected by it. Why? I got a glimpse of God's love for me at my worst moment, at my moment of total collapse. He didn't get in my face. He didn't get angry with me. He loved me in that moment. Some of you got to know that your sin doesn't push God away. It causes him to pursue you in love. He, he's coming after you. He cares about you. He loves you at your worst. And here's where we see how this psalm and the story of Exodus point us forward to the person of Jesus, right? I mean, Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love is Fulfilled by Jesus, the person of Jesus, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, glory of the one and only full of grace and truth. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So you want to see this verse on display, you look at the face of Christ and we can look at him. And guys, he is so patient with us. Verse 14, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. This is in the day-to-day. -day. He knows our humanity, right? He's not disgusted with you. He's not tolerating you. He's patient with you. He's tender with you. He's gentle with you. He knows your specific sins. He knows your frailties. He knows your weaknesses. He knows how you're wired. He's not put off by all those things. Full of compassion. So God says, This is who I am. You want to know who I am? This is who I am. I am merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That's who I am. So you can come to me this morning, however you are. 
You don't have to get your act together. You don't have to clean yourself up. You come to me as you are, and I will forgive you of your sins. See, this is, this is not for everybody. It says to those who fear him, to those who acknowledge I am a sinner, and God, you are holy, and I need Christ to save me from my sins. And he's ready to do that. He is ready to do that. He is full of mercy and compassion, and that is worth being grateful for today. Our Father, you are full of compassion. And we, we have all rebelled against you. We see ourselves in the story of the Israelites, how quickly we turn away. You're not enough. We need a supplement. You haven't acted quickly enough on our timetable. Forgive us. We thank you that you are slow to anger, abounding, abounding, abounding in steadfast love. And I pray that you would pursue us even now. If there's one who has yet to give their life to you, Jesus, grant them the gift of faith to say, yes, I need you in my life. Be my Lord and Savior. And Father, for the rest of us, especially during this chaotic season. May Christ be our hope. May Christ be our hope. Our hope in life, death, and eternal life forever. In Christ's name, amen.